We're continuing our series through the book of Nehemiah, which tells the story of God's people rebuilding the city of God. Nehemiah is all about building a new Jerusalem, which, as we saw back in the book of Revelation, is precisely what the church is called to do today. We are called to build a new Jerusalem, and so we are turning to the book of Nehemiah in order to learn how we are to go about doing that. Over the past couple chapters, Nehemiah has been dealing with all sorts of opposition, and chapter 6 features more of the same. In chapter 5, last week, Nehemiah was dealing with a financial crisis. Debt, greed, and economic exploitation were threatening to tear apart the community from the inside. So Nehemiah introduces new policies and initiatives to help heal the community and to care for the poor. And this week, chapter 6, the opposition continues. As chapter 6 opens, the wall around Jerusalem has been completely rebuilt. The only thing left to do is install the doors in the gates. And so the city is very nearly secure, but at this point it is still vulnerable. Once the walls are rebuilt and the gates are secure, Jerusalem can become, once again, a major player in the region. And that's why the other governors in the region oppose the rebuilding of the wall. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem oppose the rebuilding of the wall because a strong Jerusalem is a threat to their own prominence in the region. God's people are approaching a moment of great triumph, and their enemies are running out of time. And so the opposition intensifies to the level of blackmail and death threats. Chapter 6 is divided into three different sections corresponding to three different attempts to undermine Nehemiah. As it says in verse 9 and verse 14 and verse 19, Nehemiah's enemies are trying to make him afraid. We're going to take a closer look at at each of these three attempts. Attempt to undermine Nehemiah number 1. Verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Nehemiah's enemies want to meet. Maybe they want to sign a treaty. But Nehemiah doesn't buy it. He has nothing to gain and everything to lose from such a meeting. Plus, he suspects treachery. Verse 3. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Sorry, Nehemiah says, my calendar is all booked up. Nehemiah's enemies are persistent. They are persistent to the point of desperation. Verse 4 tells us that they sent the same message four different times, and Nehemiah responded the same way each time. I have no time to spare. And so, rather than continuing to send private messages to Nehemiah, Sanballat decides to send an open letter. Sanballat starts a blog. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king, the Persian king, will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. In other words, word on the street is that you and the Jews are plotting an insurrection. 
and that you, Nehemiah, are doing all of this for personal gain. So for your own safety, you should probably come out and meet with us. Of course, these accusations were untrue. Nehemiah's reputation and credibility were unfairly under attack. But this is an open letter, which means that the malicious rumors would inevitably make their way into the public conversation. It would inevitably cause the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the very people who are working to rebuild the wall, to doubt Nehemiah's trustworthiness and credibility, his intentions, and to fear some form of retaliation from the Persian king. As it says in verse 9, they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work. But in response, Nehemiah, as he repeatedly does throughout this book, turns to God in prayer. Now, O God, strengthen my hands. Okay, attempt to undermine Nehemiah number two. In addition to the open letter, Nehemiah's enemies actually hire a false prophet. The false prophet, Shemaiah, is apparently regarded by the Jewish community as a man who is able to declare the will of God. In verse 10, Shemaiah says to Nehemiah, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Assassins are coming for you, Nehemiah. Come on, let's go barricade ourselves in the temple. Verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, how did Nehemiah know that Shemaiah was lying? Because... Nehemiah knew the scriptures. There's no other reason. Shemaiah was suggesting something that would have violated the scriptures. For Nehemiah to barricade himself within the temple would have been sin. Because Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah was not permitted in the temple. 2 Chronicles 23. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. So again, Nehemiah was able to identify a false prophet because he knew the scriptures. Had Nehemiah not known the scriptures, he might have fallen for this. Perhaps you remember this from last year, our series in the epistles of John. This is 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Nehemiah teaches us what it means to test a spirit. He knows the Bible, and he obeys the Bible, and therefore he is able to test Shemaiah's counsel. And the same goes for us. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that runs counter to the Bible. After all, the the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. We can know with 100% certainty that any counsel, any advice, any thought, any inclination that runs counter to the Bible is not from God. Okay, attempt to undermine Nehemiah number three. This one was the greatest threat 
of the three because it was centered around Tobiah. You see, Sanballat was a Samaritan, and we learn in chapter 13 that his daughter had married the son of the high priest, Eliashib, from chapter 3. Sanballat had family ties to high-ranking officials in Jerusalem. And alongside Sanballat, there was Geshem. Geshem was an Arab and probably the most powerful man of the three. But as dangerous as Sanballat and Geshem were to Nehemiah, Tobiah represented the greatest and most insidious threat. Why? Because not only did Tobiah have family ties to high-ranking officials, Tobiah was himself a Jew. Tobiah was resisting Nehemiah from within the walls. Look at verses 17 and then skipping to 19. In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. The nobles also spoke of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So in addition to all the opposition from outside the city, Nehemiah is still facing opposition within the city. Remember, in chapter 5, Nehemiah was dealing with a financial crisis and he instituted new policies and initiatives to stop the oppression of the poor. Well, obviously, if the poor were being oppressed, then there were some rich people who were benefiting from that oppression. And they probably were not very happy with Nehemiah. So you can imagine what Tobiah and the rest of the nobles within Jerusalem were saying to one another about Nehemiah. You can, you can imagine their resentment. If Nehemiah wants to build a wall, great, because that's good for business. But he better not get between me and my money. Even so, despite all this resistance, despite the slander and the misinformation, despite the ungodly counsel, despite the gossip and the rumors, Nehemiah stands firm. He continues to pray. He continues to obey. He ignores his opponents, and he finishes the wall. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, when they heard that the wall was finished, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Nehemiah's enemies were trying to make him afraid, but Nehemiah's enemies end up afraid. All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. The Hebrew word for afraid there is, is more than merely fear. It includes a sense of awe. Why? Why were the nations struck with fear and awe? For, it says, they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The faith and unity and hard work and perseverance of God's people led their neighbors to acknowledge the presence of God in their midst. The surrounding nations could not deny that the God of Jerusalem was at work. And the same could be true of Oak Forest today. When God's people are faithful and unified and hardworking and persevering, we can expect the Lord to accomplish some incredible things. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Listen, according to the power at work within us, 
he is able to do according to the power within us. It's amazing. And when the Lord does that, when when the Lord works powerfully through us, our neighbors will have to acknowledge that he is in our midst. Only the Holy Spirit can create and sustain the type of community we want to see here. A truly world-changing community, or or maybe just a neighborhood-changing community. A community that cares for the poor, and works diligently, and practices hospitality, and mentors teens, and starts businesses, and improves our parks, and cares for widows, and adopts children, and on and on. Only the Holy Spirit can sustain a community like that. Now, that said, I think we all need to take care lest we become like Tobiah and the nobles. We all need to take care that our presence within the community is a blessing to the community, building it up. Because without exception, every member of this church is a potential Tobiah, myself included. We, we, we simply must acknowledge that. And so even when we are absolutely sure that we are right about something, we should never be acting or speaking in such a way that the unity of the church is compromised. Discussion is okay, but gossip is not. And disagreement is okay, but resentment is not. When it comes to the church, the threat of internal discord will always be greater than the threat of external opposition. If we are unified, then the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the progress of the gospel. But if we are not unified, then we are a house of cards. Now, to close, I want us to consider Nehemiah's courage here in chapter 6. We have seen that Nehemiah is prayerful, and we have seen that Nehemiah knows the Bible. In other words, Nehemiah knows the love of God, and Nehemiah knows the law of God. He has a living relationship with his heavenly Father, and he knows what his heavenly Father expects and desires. Nehemiah is a man of principle. He holds fast to biblical truth. He leads from a place of conviction and deep faith. He behaves ethically and compassionately. He obeys the word of God. And all of this makes Nehemiah a force to be reckoned with. Now, knowing the type of leader Nehemiah was, what do you think Tobiah and the other nobles were saying about him? I think think we can make an educated guess. Tobiah is such a good guy. I don't, I don't understand why Nehemiah refuses to play nice. Just go out to the plain of Ono. Doesn't take that much time. The same goes for Sanballat and Geshem. What, what's the big deal? Nehemiah is doing this for personal gain. Nehemiah is too rigid. Nehemiah is so intolerant. Nehemiah is a Bible thumper. Nehemiah is stuck in his ways. He's a bigot. Nehemiah needs to lighten up. It's not hard to imagine people saying things like this about Nehemiah. But history has been very kind to Nehemiah. 
History remembers Nehemiah as the type of leader who on the basis of his deep conviction makes the world a better place. World history is full of Nehemiahs. Men and women of deep conviction who were also vehemently opposed in their day. Moses, Joshua, Paul, Polycarp, Martin Luther, George Washington, William Wilberforce, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, William Tyndale, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu. We could keep going. These were all people of deep conviction, men and women of principle and faith. They knew what was true and right, and they held to it despite opposition. They didn't go along to get along. They didn't stop speaking the truth when it got them in trouble. And to be sure, there there were people who wanted them to lighten up, but we're all glad that they didn't. Of course, the name of Jesus ought to be at the very top of that list. There has never been a man of deeper conviction. There has never been a man more courageous. He was meek and gentle and compassionate, but he never met his enemies on the plain of Ono. He never compromised, and he certainly never disobeyed. Like Nehemiah, Jesus was prayerful. Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus had enemies who spoke lies about him. Jesus was accused of political insurrection. Jesus stood his ground, and Jesus completed the task he set out to accomplish. Unlike Nehemiah, Jesus did actually claim to be king. And 2,000 years later, the kingdom he established is still changing the world. In a world of bad leaders, leaders with no real conviction, leaders who are cowards, leaders who are in it for themselves, Jesus is the leader worth following. Place your faith in him. That means give him your loyalty and obedience. Restructure your entire life for the sake of his kingdom. Worship, pray, know the Bible, live in harmony. Because Jesus is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are present with us. You see us. You care for us. You have also given us your word, um, and we thank you. Um, We have all that we need to be equipped and to stand firm side by side as brothers and sisters in the faith. Jesus, you are the leader worth following. We pledge our lives and our loyalty to you. May your kingdom come. Holy Spirit, make us a unified and therefore unstoppable community for the sake of your kingdom in this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.